welcome to this edition of the Thoracic Surgery Resident Association's podcast. The opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for teaching purposes only and should not be applied directly to patient care. Hi, my name is Samir Hirji, and I'm one of the residents in the 4 plus 3 cardiothoracic surgery program at Brigham Women's Hospital. It is my honor to introduce Dr. Siyoshi Kaneko here today, who will be sharing his thoughts and expertise on maximizing quality improvement and outcomes research for cardiothoracic surgery trainees in the current academic landscape. Dr. Kaneko is a cardiac surgeon and assistant professor of surgery at Brigham Women's Hospital and Harvard Medical School in Boston, Massachusetts. Dr. Kaneko received his medical degree from Keio University School of Medicine in Tokyo, Japan, where he also trained in both general and cardiac surgery residencies. Following this, he moved to the USA to undertake general surgery residencies at the New York Medical College in New York City and the University of Texas Health Science Center in Houston. Dr. Kaneko then trained in cardiothoracic surgery and completed an interventional fellowship at Brigham Women's Hospital before pursuing an aortic fellowship at Duke University Hospital in Durham, North Carolina. He has returned to Brigham Women's Hospital where he is currently the director of aortic surgery and the director of clinical outcomes research. Dr. Kaneko has co-authored over 100 publications in international peer-reviewed medical journals and has spoken on many topics of cardiothoracic surgery and clinical outcomes in heart surgery at international medical and surgical meetings. Dr. Kaneko, hello and welcome. Thank you, Samir, for having me. We are indeed very excited to chat with you on this important topic. In this high-yield podcast, we hope to discuss a little bit about your research background and career interest, discuss aspects related to resident recruitment and skills assessment, and examine ways to enhance the quality of academic research, and finally provide tips and tricks for trainees to enhance their academic throughput during their clinical training. So without further ado, we will get directly to the first topic. So Dr. Kaneko, would you mind telling us a little bit about your impetus for academic research? When did you start your research journey? Yeah, so my research journey, I can go all the way back to my family member. So my dad is a general surgeon in Japan. Um, he was a chairman of the department um, and he's actually very, very well established um, laparoscopic liver surgeon that recently retired. So I've always wanted to do academics medicine uh, when I knew that I was going to be a physician. Um, you know, some of the things that's really interesting is that during my first five years, I did zero research. Um, and I had no, no research experience as a medical student. Um, but I always wanted to be an academic surgeon, right? So, you know, I, I noticed that deficit when I was climbing up the general surgery residency ladder um, in Houston. And I was really hungry to do research during that time. So um, I reached out to the surgeons at uh, University of Texas in Houston, um, Dr. Tony Estrera, and he's mentored me um, in a couple of the projects while I was in Houston. But um, also there was a trauma surgeon that really affected me who really taught a little bit about statistics, how to critically read a scientific paper 
in how to come up with these topics. Um, her name is Lillian Cow, but she really influenced me during my residency training. Um, my real research started when I came to the Brigham as a fellow, um, and I started doing research with Larry Cohn. Um, he has told me that you know during your clinical times, you've got no time to do research, but um, I insisted in doing it, and I was able to publish multiple papers. Um, and that was sort of my, uh, my start as doing research in the field of cardiothoracic surgery. So my starting point was a little late uh, compared to some of the others. It's interesting how you've had extensive experience with multiple mentors throughout. And I'm sure you've learned a lot from these mentors. What are some of the challenges you faced in finding mentorship during those years? And how did you overcome those challenges, especially during your training, uh, especially at the Brigham? Yeah, I think the challenge is, the first challenge is to find a mentor, right? And they have to be a mentor that's really willing to teach. And that's, I think, the first hurdle for the residents, I'm gonna keep saying it over and over again, the importance of mentor and mentee relationship. And, you know, not, not all the mentors will be perfect for you, right? Um, you know, people have, people have relationships, um, just like, you know, the similar to that, um, each relationships are different, but in general, the well-known mentors, um, if they are devoted to take time for you, then those are the people that will influence you the most. So you have to find them and you gotta, you gotta really expand your network and find out who that person is. And you just never know who's going to be a mentor, right? right. I mean, you know, you know, Samir. I mean, Correct, you yeah. know, you met me at Duke, right. um, and you probably didn't know that I was going to be your research mentor during that time. So exactly, yeah. you just never know. But finding a right mentor is actually very, very important. So one of the things I, you know, people ask that you know you are a hybrid surgeon, and is there a particular research focus that you have, or, or do you have multiple research focus as a, a hybrid surgeon, and what excites you most? currently in terms of research? Right, um, yes, my area of interest in my research is really dedicated in the transcatheter field um, and also valvular surgery that is somewhat linked with that transcatheter field. Um, so the, the researches that really excite me is whenever we find something that has not really been shown before, right? You're, you're actually changing the landscape of the field, right? You get new data out there and you're actually changing the dynamics of the field, and that feeling is priceless. So, you know, I think whoever wants to do research in the future, I want you guys to remember, you have the power to change the field of cardio cardiothoracic surgery. So as a director for your clinical outcomes group, your research group has been extremely productive over the last three to four years, with multiple presentations at large national conferences. Would you mind telling us the structure of your research group and how you organize it to achieve that productivity? Right. Well, Samir, you've been you know part of the success, big part of the success. Thank you. But um, I think the research group, our research group consists of a statistician, a research fellow, or multiple research fellows at certain times, and also a research assistant who helps with writing manuscripts, collecting data, and creating figures, etc. Um, but I think the, uh, the most important aspect of our meeting is that we meet at 7.30 on Tuesday every week. I think that's the most important thing. And I take that time, unless if I'm in emergency surgery, I try to participate in that research meeting even, I'm, even if I'm away. Um, you know, I'll try my best to, to make it to that meeting. 
And the importance of that is not just hearing about the, the updates about each projects. I think it is both, both bi-directional. Uh, one is that um, you know, you, the mentees feel like they have a mentor that is actually watching you. I think that feeling that you get every week is actually very, very important, right? And for the mentors, it's actually very good to know what's going on with the projects, what kind of progress has made in that particular projects, and what kind of understanding does the mentees have on each project. So you probably remember, I pick on you guys on random <laughs> projects um, every week. Right. And I do expect complete updates in those, um, in those topics. And that makes you prepared to make sure that you get updates for these projects for that Tuesday, right? And having that deadline every week, I think, moves all the projects forward. And that, I think that was part of the success that we've had over the years. And I think that's very important to have a mentor involvement throughout. So we'll now shift gears. So as you know, and you mentioned, mentorship and scholarship is extremely crucial in academic medicine and has been the focus of the AATS and STS. As a mentor, how much autonomy do you give your residents? How much is appropriate in your opinion? So graded autonomy, right? So you can't give, you can't throw a project at a resident on a first day and expect them to finish. So first of all, I think the resident really has to be motivated. That's the first, that's, you know, you have to be on this start line. And for you to be on the start line, you really have to be motivated to accomplish something during your research. So I think that's very, very important. Um, the autonomy in my mind is, you know, roughly in three levels, right? The first level is to write a manuscript or you know, if you're being told, you're gonna do what you're being told. That's the first step, right? So when you first come into research, you're gonna be given a project, you're gonna be given what to do, right? Mm -hmm. And a lot of the things that you do is collecting data, talking to the statistician, working with the data, and then trying to write a manuscript out of that. And you will get uh, revised multiple times at that level, right? The second step is to build a research project okay so based on the topics that you're you're proposed from your mentors you're gonna come up with a research topic right and then you're gonna come up with a statistical plan at that point with all the experience that you had during your first level days and then you're gonna be able to write a manuscript on your own right that's sort of the general second level um, and the third level the highest level in my mind for at least for the residents is to come up with a research question. Because the research question is the most important thing in my mind in these clinical outcomes research because that question really dictates the importance of the project. So no matter how good of a statistical analysis you do, no matter how thorough of a data collection you do, if your research question sucks, then that project will go nowhere, right? So in order for you to come up with a research question, you have to be reading journals, you have to be paying attention to what's going on in the field, and you have to know what is the actual question that is not answered at this point. And it takes a while for the researchers to get to that level, but um, as the graded autonomy increases, and when you're really at that final level, 
then you can actually ask questions, build a statistical plan, and then write a paper. So along those lines, how do you ensure your residents continue to improve and also be accountable at the same time to excel? Because you work with so many residents across yeah, the years. Right. I mean, you know, first of all, I have to know where they are, right? But um, I think the most important thing is at some point you've got to let them go, you know, just like the bicycle, right? <laughs> so at some point you have to let them fly. And then if they're struggling, then you, you give some hand to help them. But um, I think it is important at some point to, to let your hand go and then see, you know, give autonomy to, to, the, to the mentees to see what they can do. Is there a particular focus that you prefer? So there is, uh, there are some residents who are interested in original research. There are some who are in, interested in quality improvement initiatives, but only the latter especially do not get published a lot and somehow are usually at the very institutional level. So what's your advice uh, do you feel like these residents are at a disadvantage if those pursuing especially the quality improvement only? I think the quality improvement projects are extremely important in the, in, if you look at the hospital level analysis, right? So of course, if you want to be an academician and if you really want to ask real timely clinical questions, write a paper in JAMA, right? Then I think you have to, you have to go to a little different route than the quality improvement projects. Um, I don't think those projects will ever really get published in JAMA, unfortunately. But all hospitals require a quality control leader, right? And having those experience in the future may lead to a job as a surgeon that takes care of those quality control initiatives. And that in itself is a very, very important role in the hospital. So again, you know, not all papers lead to these high impact journals. But if your future is to be a leader in those quality control initiatives, doing those projects is priceless. Um, I think it has a lot of value to it. So, you know, you can do both at the same time if you're interested, right? Mm -hmm. But, um, you know, I wouldn't downplay the quality control initiatives because of the possibilities in the hospital role that you're gonna be when you become an attending. That's important. So one of the questions that people have is, so. Uh, you've had many residents across the years and you've had your work previously, uh, you know, being awarded the J. Maxwell Chamberlain Award at SDS and the C. Walton Lillehigh Award at AATS. How do you ensure the quality of your research? Like what steps do you do as a PI uh, for quality control for the work that eventually gets out to these meetings? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think, you know, it's it's great that, you know, you won those awards. And as an institution, I think it was fantastic. But, um, you know, I don't know if we can always go for those awards, right? Um, you know, those awards are decided object, not really objectively, more subjectively by the selection committees, right? And one thing that you can do is to try to identify the the knowledge gap that is currently extremely high yield. So that's one thing that you can do. But after that, I don't think going for the awards is our, our goal. I think what we want to do, at least in our outcomes research lab, is to answer the questions that we currently do not know and change the landscape of the field. Um, I, think, I think that is the goal. Our goal is not to get the awards. There has been an increased interest in using administrative data spaces, so CMS, 
as well as the national inpatient sample, national readmission database. What do you think the utility of these databases is? And how do you ensure that the research that comes out is accurate and also ethical? Yeah. No, I think these um, administrative database research, the more it is being done nowadays because of the availability and also the ease of use and easier, easier, easier pathway to publication, I think all that has led to increase in these administrative database researches. But um, at the end of the day, administrative database researches are filled with limitations. Um, you know, you're relying on billing codes, you're relying on a lot of the variables that are not really captured um, that may confound the outcomes. So I think, number one, we have to understand the limitation of these administrative databases. However, if used, if used properly, it has a power to answer a very, very important question that you will have no other way of answering. So I think it is important to come up with those particular questions when you're using administrative database. Um, and I don't think these administrative databases should be used to, to publish you know, 20 papers, 30 papers, 40 papers. Um, I think we have to carefully understand what the knowledge gap is and then use it very, very appropriately. And if we do that, it has, it does become a very, very powerful tool. The one thing that a lot of residents have asked is when is the appropriate time for them to start pursuing multi-institutional studies? And from your experience, do you think this is something that should be done at a resident level or is it something that should be waited till later? Um, when you mean multi-institutional studies, if you're talking about you know collaboration between two institutions, um, you know collecting data between the two institutions, I think that's totally fine at the at the resident level. Um, I think that's totally fine to do. But I think a lot of the multi-institutional data that you're probably talking about is you know collecting some of the procedures that that are not done um, that are not currently FDA approved um, or it's out of you know what CMS coverages are, et cetera. And I think those research, to me, should be done by the actual clinicians. Mm-hmm. Um, the research residents can help. They're only there to help, but um, you know, in, in my mind, the collaborators are collaborating because of the power that they have. So I have a couple more questions at this time. The first is about additional degrees. What are your thoughts about residents pursuing additional degrees such as master's uh, or PhD during their training? Yeah, I think it really depends on what your goals are. Um, I think additional degree always does not hurt, right? Um, But you need to to invest your time in it. And master in public health makes a lot of sense to me. Um, You know, you can get it in one or two year period of time and you can do that during your research and it actually increases your understanding of the research. So that makes a lot of sense if you can get the funding. Uh, PhD, I think it really depends on what kind of direction you want to go. Um, if you want to be a certain scientist that really takes care of the public health, then you know maybe that route might be the way for you. But I think you need a lot of commitment. So you know choose wisely. But um, if you have the uh, the funding or the support to get these additional degrees, I don't see a reason why not to get them um, if you want to pursue academic career. That's excellent. The last question that I have is uh, residents currently in clinical training, especially the senior years, 
uh, how do they get involved and how do they get engaged in research, especially if they did something prior? Right. Um, so, you know, it, I'm only going to talk about my experience because a lot of the, um, the PIs and the mentors might be different. Um, but I would be more than happy to include a lot of these residents that are in clinical busy years um, if they can get their work done. Um, if they're not getting their work done, then I will not waste my time trying to wait for them to finish the work. Um, I think speed is the key, especially if you're trying to answer some of the hot topics, mm -hmm. because you know we've experienced this before. Um, sometimes when you try to publish it, you may be too late. Um, you know, some of the other some of the other team may come up with a similar project. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of smart people are trying to answer the same questions. So, if you have a dedicated time that you can spend. What I did in my clinical years is that whenever I had a weekend off, um, that, that morning or that half day was dedicated to research. So I would write papers, I would do finish up projects, um, and I would make sure that project kept moving forward on the days that I were off. And then of course, you know, you have to stay up late, but in cardiac surgery, when you're in really, really clinical busy years, there's no way that you can actually do an operation, see the patients afterwards, take care of them, go home and write paper. That's extremely hard to do. So I utilize mainly the days off to do it. As a mentor, how do you personally improve your statistical background and your experience with as the new research comes out? Yeah, um, I, I think you just have to keep reading them. And you know, I, I'm not afraid to ask that I don't know. Um, I think that's probably the most important thing. Um, when I don't know what it means, the statistics, um, I, I will ask. And I think that's probably the only way they can get better. So Dr. Kaneko, this has been a very thought-provoking and insightful discussion, and I sincerely appreciate your time. Do you have any final words of advice or wisdom for current trainees? Uh, it could be medical students, residents, and fellows who want to pursue this career of academic medicine. Yeah. I would hope that all the medical students, all the residents, all the fellows participate in some degree of research. I do a lot of clinical outcomes research, but it doesn't have to be that. But we're doing research to change our field. And that has a lot of importance. And you guys will be the future. Thank you very much. Great. Thank you so much.